It is so good to have you here with us. Welcome to all those of you here in our sanctuary. So great to see so many of you coming back to church. Welcome also to our friends online this morning. Just a few things to mention before Susan Walker comes and reads her passage today. I want to uh, ask you to celebrate with us. We, we have just had a wonderful new member class, our Discover Rock class, a big group of folks. And uh, it just feels like the Lord's making us a, a stronger, more healthy church with the bringing in of so many new people. So uh, every week, if you get our Rock Update emails, you'll see a few of these folks with their pictures and their names so you can kind of uh, get to associate a name with a face, hopefully get to know them a little better. But we are so grateful to have them with us. I want to mention something coming up two weeks from today on Sunday afternoon. March the 20th at 3 o'clock from 3 until 4.30. Forsyth Jail and Prison Ministries is uh, going to be holding here at River Oaks uh, their training session. It is required to go through one of these sessions once a year in order to participate in volunteer ministry at the jail or prison. A fantastic local ministry to plug in with. So if you uh, have any interest in that, and I hope many of you will, Come to the training that afternoon. I plan to be there. I hope lots of you will come. Great opportunity, and that will uh, equip you for the following year of volunteer service if you'd like to join us for some of the, the ministry we do there. And then finally, we have entered the season that in the church calendar is known as Lent, time of uh, preparing for Easter. Traditionally, in the season of Lent, some people will fast or give up some sweet treat or something like that. Brett Canode at our, our Ash Wednesday services encouraged us to think about adding something to our time every week, adding some time alone with the Lord for biblical meditation and for prayer, and to provide you a space to do that beginning today, every Sunday afternoon from today, March 6th until April the 10th. Our sanctuary will be open on Sunday afternoons from 1.30 to 2.30. Uh, this is not a corporate prayer time, but a quiet space, more of a com contemplative time for you if you'd like to just have an hour or part of an hour to come and meditate and pray. Uh, Brett will have our sanctuary set for us for that today. And then finally, today we're going to celebrate communion, uh, the Lord's Supper, and um, then after that, we're going to have time to pray for you. Those of you who may have a need for uh, healing, those of you who want prayer for someone in your family, those of you who are grieving and need comfort, we're going to build into the service today a significant amount of time to pray one for another that we may be healed, as the book of James tells us to do. So the sermon will be shorter today. And Susan Walker is coming now to read our passage for us this morning. It comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 12 through 26. Good morning. It's nice to see faces today. I like that. While he was in one of the cities... There came a man full of leprosy, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately 
the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Susan. Many people, when they talk about Jesus' ministry, as we read of it in the Gospels, <clears throat> stress that Jesus went about doing primarily three things, preaching, teaching, and healing. But I think we could add another component to his ministry, one that is sometimes overlooked, and that is his ministry of prayer. We see this pattern in Jesus, alone with God, empowered with people. It, it really strikes me that Jesus didn't begin his public earthly ministry until he was about 30 years of old. He lived in relative obscurity till the time that he was 30. Remarkable, knowing that he would only have three years of public ministry. And then when he begins his public ministry, he's baptized, but he immediately is led out by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days. So again, he's alone, where he's tempted by the devil. He comes out and begins his ministry, and everywhere he goes, people, some believe, some oppose, many are healed, great things are happening, but yet he often pulls aside again and is alone with the Father. And this seems to be a pattern. We see it particularly in the Gospel of Luke when it was a day after the crowds had been pressing in the night before. He departed, went into a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him. We read in Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, even more the report about him went abroad and great Crowds gathered to hear him and be healed of their infirmities. But what would he do? He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. 
Before appointing his apostles, Luke chapter 6 says he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God, alone with God, empowered with people. I think at the very least we can learn something from Jesus here. That is that God can do more through a spirit-anointed and empowered life in one hour by his power than we can do in our own power in a lifetime. Jesus was often alone with God, empowered with people. And so in his empowered ministry, as we see it here in this part of Luke, we see this, number one, God's power over his created world. Why is God doing all these dramatic miracles of healing? Can you imagine seeing a person covered in leprosy who is immediately and instantly healed? Could you imagine seeing a person lower down to a roof who's paralyzed, can't move at all, instantly getting up, taking his bed, and walking away? God is showing his power, his power to heal. As Jesus was ministering in Luke 5.17, we read, The power of the Lord was with him to heal. Later, in the book of Acts, chapter 10, Peter would be preaching about Jesus, and he would describe his ministry this way, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. God showing his power, his power over creation, his power over the created world, his power to heal bodies and, and limbs. These Mighty things Jesus did are sometimes referred to as signs. And in the Gospel of John, John would mention that he recorded many of these signs for this purpose. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So God's doing mighty things to affirm who Jesus is, the Son of God and God the Son. But that's not the only reason we see Jesus healing. If we want to know what God is really like, we have only to look at Jesus. There are certain times the Bible says Jesus saw the people, they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he was moved with compassion toward them. He was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. In Jesus, we see not only God's power over his created world, but his compassion for hurting people. Everything Jesus did didn't seem to be done to attract as many people as possible. Sometimes he would heal a person and say, don't tell everybody about this. And that was the case with the leper, uh, the leper he healed in Luke chapter 5, as Susan read a moment ago. He charged him to tell no one but to go and show himself to the priests and make an offering for his cleansing as Moses had commanded in the law. Jesus came with compassion for hurting people. He sees the needs of his people. He cares. Jesus lived his life in great uh, contrast to the way the Pharisees lived. Now, the Pharisees were a group within Judaism. The, the, the word Pharisee means separated ones. They considered themselves separated from others, more holy. They had their own purity laws. The Pharisees often separated themselves from social outcasts to avoid contamination. A Pharisee would never have touched a leper. A Pharisee would not have gone to a meal, sat down to dine <clears throat> with tax collectors 
with prostitutes. Jesus, on the other hand, associated with social outcasts in order to reach them. Notice again his ministry to the leper in Luke 5 and verse 12. Follow he's in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. We should note that lepers were perhaps the most isolated of all people. In Jesus' day, to be told you had leprosy meant to live alone, far from everyone else. All likelihood, no one had even touched this man in a very long time. But when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus could have just spoken the word and healed him, but he touched him. He touched him and said, I will be clean, and immediately the leprosy left him. Pharisees separated themselves to avoid contamination. Jesus associated with the outcasts to show his compassion, to minister to them. In Luke 5, verses 30 and 32, again, as we read a moment ago, the Pharisees and scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus was not afraid of being contaminated by sitting down with social outcasts, with despised and scorned people. He wasn't afraid he would be defiled by being in their presence. He was bringing to them the way out of defilement. He was the light. He was the life. He was the water that washes from sin and brings cleansing. So in Jesus, we see God's power over his creation. We see God's compassion for hurting people. And we also see God's authority to forgive sin. Now we get to the real heart of this miracle of the healing of the paralytic. And in verses 20 of the passage, we read this man had been lowered down through a roof because of the crowd around Jesus. These friends wanted to get their paralyzed friend close to Jesus. They took apart the roof. They lowered this man down right in front of Jesus so Jesus would see him. And when he, that is Jesus, saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. These Pharisees and scribes knew that when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, that he was claiming deity for himself. He was essentially claiming to be God, God the Son, the Son of God. And they thought it was blasphemy that he did that. So Jesus responds, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Now let's pause for a moment here. Why does Jesus call himself the Son of Man? This is important to grasp, I think. You'd think he would have called himself the Son of God, God the Son. The words Son of Man 
in the Old Testament, if, if you said so-and-so is a son of man, that's just saying he's a man, he's a human, he's a son of Adam, he's a human being, he's a son of man. But Jesus uses this title for himself, the son of man, the son of man. Why does he do that? It's important to understand this. I think this is the first time in the Gospel of Luke use, uh, uh, that Jesus uses the title. But I believe, according to one commentator, he uses it 25 times in the Gospel of Luke. And it is his most frequently used title for himself, the Son of Man. Why does Jesus call himself the Son of Man? I think it is because there was a well-known prophecy <clears throat> in the book of Daniel. The Jews would have known it well. It reads like this. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven... There came one like a son of man. He came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom is one which shall not be destroyed. Who is this person whose dominion would be everlasting, whose kingdom would never be destroyed? who would have dominion over all peoples and all nations and all languages, well, the Messiah, Jesus, the prophesied Messiah. And so when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, I think he's claiming not only to be the Son of God, God the Son, but also the Messiah. I am the one. And as such, I have authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus, in making this claim, to have the authority to forgive sins, to be the Son of Man, is looking ahead to what He would do on the cross. In Jesus, we see God's power over His created world. We see His compassion. We see His authority to forgive sin. And further, we see in Jesus God's willing to give absolutely everything for us. When Jesus claimed the authority on earth to forgive sins, he's looking ahead to the cross. Just a few chapters later in, in Luke, we'd, we'd hear Jesus saying these words to his disciples. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus is saying, this must happen. It has to happen. I will be killed. I will be crucified. I will be raised on the third day. A little later in the Gospel of Luke, before going to the cross, Jesus would gather with his disciples and he would say, as they're having a meal, he'd say, this is my body. He'd take the bread, he'd break a loaf of bread. This is my body, which is given for you. And then he'd take a cup. He'd say, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Incredibly important words. Jesus is saying now, in what's about to happen, when I go to the cross, there's a new covenant for you, a new way of relating into God, a new relationship into which God is bringing you with himself. No longer is it dependent on your perfect ability to keep the law. You cannot do that. No one ever has. Christ only. But by the shedding of his blood, merely through our faith in him, we are brought into a relationship of eternal salvation with our Lord and with our God, not by our law-keeping, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. This blood, 
a new covenant. On the cross, God would not even spare his own son. He would give everything he could give. God would give himself. The second person of the Trinity would take our place. God, the Son, would shed his blood. The Son of Man, the Son of God. And in doing so, simply through our faith in Jesus, every single believer can hear the words that Jesus spoke to that paralyzed man. Your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. So central is this to the coming of Jesus that the Lord gave us a way always to remember this, and we call it communion. We call it the Lord's Supper. And um, in the event you did not get one of the little cups on the way in, communion cups, um, I'll give you a moment, those of you who need to grab one from the back. And Beth, would you grab one for me, please, if you would? I forgot to get one, just one of the communion cups. As we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, <clears throat> um, let's read together these words found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. Thank you. The Apostle Paul writes these very important words. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What an incredible thing. If you choose to take the little piece of bread now and drink the juice, you're making a visible proclamation that you, by faith, have received the benefits of Jesus' body and shed blood. That you, like the paralyzed man, have heard him say, your sins are forgiven. That you've been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, as, a lamb, as of a lamb without spot and blemish. Paul then gives a warning. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. This calls us to be certain that we're not undergoing some mere religious ritual that we are truly putting our faith in Christ Jesus alone. And I think it's appropriate to take a moment or two of silence now just to let the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts that we might take the Lord's Supper in the right way in his eyes. So would you join me as we pray? Those of you at home, uh, please join us as well. Father, now as we wait in your presence, speak to our hearts. If there's any watching, listening among us here who has not placed his or her faith in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, bring that person to the realization now that Jesus alone is the way and the truth and the life. Speak to us, Lord, we pray.
Amen. And now I'll give you just a moment to remove the bottom seal and get out the little wafer, and we can all partake together. The body of Christ given for you. give you a moment to remove the seal on top of the cup. The blood of Christ shed for you. And now, Father, as we continue in our service, speak to us, prepare us to receive your gifts, your work. Guide us as we pray one for another in the name of Jesus. Those of you watching online, I'd remind you our service is not over. <laughs> We're only halfway through. I'd like to continue by talking just for a moment about the continuing ministry of healing for God's people. God's healing power did not leave the earth when Jesus ascended into heaven. As you see in the passage from Acts chapter 4 on the screen... Acts chapter 4, verses 29 through 31, the early Christians after the day of Pentecost actually prayed for God to pour out his power to heal. Their prayer goes like this, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Acts chapter, five verses, Acts chapter 8 verses 5 through 7 records a deacon, not even one of the, the 12 apostles named Philip, who went down to preach Christ in a city of Samaria. People paid attention to what he said when they heard him and saw the signs, the signs that he did. Unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, much like was the case in Jesus' ministry. The apostle Paul was indeed an apostle, not one of the original 12, but later became an apostle. As we read in Acts 19, God did extraordinary things through him. And in the very last chapter of Acts, Acts chapter 28, Paul is stranded on an island. And uh, the father of the leading man of the island, Publius, lay sick with fever and dysentery. Paul visited him, prayed, putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. Does God still do this sort of thing? I believe he does. I believe he does. The Apostle Paul tells us that God has given certain gifts to his church. One of those uh, categories of gifts is a category referred to as gifts of healing. We read this in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 and 9. Paul writes, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. Paul does note these are given how, when, and where God chooses. Verse 11 tells us all these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. 
It's God's prerogative how and when he, where he gives out certain gifts. Now, just as an aside, let me simply say one of God's greatest gifts in our day and in our country is incredible medical care. I hope every time you see a doctor or a, a PA or a nurse, medical caregiver, you pray for that person to have wisdom. You pray for God to work through them, and you give thanks to the Lord for his provision that we have in our time and in our day. How I praise God for the blessings and benefits of this medical care. But don't forget to pray for God's supernatural work as well. The gifts of healing referred to here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 or something supernatural that God does. When and where and how he wishes. And Paul says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Pray that God will give that gift to some here this morning. As far as ongoing practice for the church, I think perhaps James chapter 5 gives us the most clear guidance. James writes, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Remarkable. I read those words and I ask myself, why would God tell us to pray for one another for healing if he were unwilling to do that in our time and in our day? What about this anointing with oil? Anointing with oil is only mentioned, I believe, two times in the New Testament. In Mark chapter 6, verse 13, the apostles went out, anointed with oil, many who were sick and healed them. And then in James, we're told to anoint with oil. The oil, I do not believe, was medicinal. It wasn't anointing for, for some healing effect of the oil. The oil is simply symbolic. The oil symbolizes the Holy Spirit. And when you're anointed with oil, the one praying is simply saying, we pray for the Holy Spirit to do this work in you because healing is his work. Nothing we can do. It's him. It's his work and his work alone. This morning, we have built time into our service to pray for those of you who would like prayer. I don't believe I can recall a time in the life of our church when I have known more people who were hurting more deeply than I have seen in the last several months to a year. Physical disease, yes. Grief, terrible grief. Family members struggling with addiction. More family members struggling with issues of identity, gender identity and otherwise, than I have ever heard of. And so we want to do what this scripture in James has to do. Pray one for another. Pray one for another that you may be healed. And so at this time, I'd like us to go into a time of prayer. We have elders and deacons stationed at each of the four tables in the back. Have you ever noticed those tables back there in the back of the room? If you haven't, turn around and just take a look at them for a second. We, we call them our prayer tables. They're lanyards there that people have on that are there to pray with you and for you. Some of us also are going to be right up here up front. For those of you who'd like to make your way down to any of the seats in the front, there are a number of empty seats here. And if you'd like to be anointed with oil, 
If your need is for healing for yourself, specifically ask for that. And I promise you, nobody's going to pour a whole bottle of oil on your head. <laughs> They're just going to put a little dab of oil on you, essentially saying, I can do nothing. God is the healer. But we anoint you with oil because James said to do it in James 5 and verse 14. Some of you may not have, feel your greatest need is healing for yourself. You may want to pray for, for a parent. You may want to pray for a sibling. You may want to pray for a, a child. You may want to pray for someone in your family who's struggling with addiction. We are praying today that the power of the Lord would be present to touch, to heal, to comfort, to encourage. So whatever your need is, we got lots of people ready to pray for you today. Now, those of us remaining seated, I'm going to stand up here and lead us in a time of prayer for everyone else. Those of you online, the service is not over. Please continue to join us, pray with us, for us. I'm going to pray some verses from the Psalms on the screen. And now let me just pray, and then we'll pray. So, Father, we come in the name of Jesus. You said earnestly desire spiritual gifts. I ask you today for gifts of healing. I pray you would anoint those who come and those who pray, Lord, we can of ourselves do nothing. Apart from you, we can do nothing. We're your instruments today. Please, please heal and comfort and liberate and bless your people and their children and their children's children. Would you honor our time of prayer to do what you alone can do in the great name, the name above all names, the name of Jesus Christ. I won't say amen because we're going to continue praying now. And I'm going to ask those of you who want prayer to make your way to one of the tables in the back, one of the rows in front. Those of you seated watching online, would you continue to join me as we continue now in a time of prayer? As we're praying, we're praying for family, for friends, for those struggling with addictions, for those suffering, for those coming to be anointed with oil. <clears throat> and I want to ask those of you in our congregation, you'll see scriptures on the screen, to pray these along with me. Father, we pray you would reveal yourself as the God we read of in the book of Psalms. We pray for your people to know that the Lord is our light and our salvation. Whom shall we fear? The Lord is the stronghold of our lives. When evildoers assail us to eat up our flesh, our adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against us, our hearts shall not fear. Though war rise against us, yet we will be confident. One thing we ask of the Lord, that will we seek after that we may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Father, as people go to the tables, as people come to the front, would you please comfort them? Would you encourage them? Father, we see people in our church who are suffering terrible, terrible grief. You are the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our affliction. Please, Holy Spirit, the great comforter, Touch them, be poured out upon them. Comfort them and heal them, our Lord and our God. Fathers, we're praying for our friends. We want to pray for those whose children 
are struggling with issues of identity. Lord, I pray that you would hear the prayers of these parents. Pray for those who are praying for siblings as well, that you would guide them with your eye upon them, that you would liberate them, that you would lead them, that you would instruct them and teach them in the way they should go. Lord, pour your healing mercy on your people. Father, we pray now the words of Psalm 28. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of our pleas for mercy. The Lord is our strength and our shield. Lord, you are the strength of your people. You are a shield around your people. In you, Lord, our heart trusts and we are helped. Our hearts exult. And with our song, we give you thanks. Lord, we pray these words for your grieving, hurting people today. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, Lord, save your people. Bless your people. Keep your people. Heal your people. Be their shepherd, Lord, and carry them forever in the name of Jesus. And Lord, as Psalm 29 says now, we pray for those who are struggling with anxiety, with deep, deep grief, with depression and discouragement. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Some of you in the back may want to come up front here. I think we have a few people seated on the front rows who are still in need of uh, prayer. We read in Psalm 34 that the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ears are toward their cry. Lord, you hear the cries of your people. You hear those who have been hurting with uh, grief. Lord, those who... Um, who are lamenting loss. Father, you've heard the cries of those whose family members have been snared in drug addictions. Lord, would you hear their cry? Because we are righteous through Christ alone. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Lord, would you deliver those who are bound in addictions? And Lord, you are near to the brokenhearted and you save the crushed in spirit. Lord, I pray for those in our church and our congregation here and online who feel that they are absolutely crushed in spirit. So many have suffered loss. Touch them. Lord, for the afflicted in our church, while we know that many are the afflictions of the righteous, we also know that the Lord delivers them out of them all. Father, we pray now for your great mercy, your great healing mercy for your people. We pray the words of Psalm 57, verses 1 through 3. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. Lord, would you dispel the works of evil, the works of the devil, the works of darkness who would afflict your people. Send out your steadfast love and your faithfulness, O God.
Lord, we acknowledge this morning that our hope is in you, in you alone. As Psalm 62 says, for God alone, my soul, wait in silence. My hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Lord, you are our refuge. You are our strength. We wait on you. We put our hope in you. We trust in you, our Lord and our God. Father, as Psalm 67 says, would you be gracious to your people? Would you bless your people? Would you make your face to shine upon your people? that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And Lord, we pray the words of Psalm 103, these mighty words. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Lord, for those in our church who feel oppressed, who have been oppressed, who have been afflicted, who have been discouraged, lift them out of that, Lord God. You made your ways known to Moses, your acts to the people of Israel. Lord, you're merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Lord, you don't deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities for as high as the heavens are above the earth. So great is your steadfast love toward those who fear you. You know our frame, Lord. You remember that we are dust. Lord, you've created our bodies. You are our healer. You are our encourager. Touch your people today as we worship you. We're going to continue to worship the Lord in song in just a moment here. We'll continue to stay here as long as we need to stay here. We'll stay here all morning to pray with you and for you, for those who would like to come. And I ask those of you at home watching us online to continue to pray for the beautiful and the great work of the Holy Spirit in our services. But Father, now as we continue to sing to you, to worship you, we ask you to continue to care for your people. We pray throughout this season as we approach Easter that you would revive, renew, rekindle our devotion. Lord, may you be our first and greatest love. May we love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We pray now as we sing to your great name in the holy name of Jesus, our Lord.